welcome to another episode of Women in Power. I would like to introduce my guest. My name is Sana Sadiq. I am a family law solicitor and the founder and director of Collective Law Solicitors. Um, so if you'd like to just tell me, what was your school life and um, slash like journey like when growing up? Well, school life was quite relaxed, to be honest. It was quite an enjoyable experience. I think I struggled a little bit to sort of find my place at that stage of life because I think especially going into secondary school there's a lot of pressure on you from that age to really figure out very early on who you are what mm. you want to be what you want your future to look like um, and I also went to a grammar school for secondary school so there was a lot of pressure on us from quite a young stage generally I had a really good experience but I would say it's definitely something which has forced me at a young stage to really look ahead to the future and what I wanted to do with my life. Um, yeah, I can kind of relate because <clears throat> I went to an all-girls school and I know, and a grammar school, so I get it. And going to a grammar school, a lot more pressure than if you were to go to a normal state school. So what was that like going to, I know the pressures of a grammar school, like a lot, I can definitely relate to that. So what was it like going, you know, I, I'm assuming you did like your GCSEs, your A-levels, was that like a struggle? Because I think, like you said, at that age like I can't remember how old you would be you'll be like year 10 and 11 and you're choosing your GCSEs and then obviously after GCSEs straight on to like A levels and it's like that pressure of you know that did you have like even like a favorite teacher that kind of helped you because I know when I was growing up I had at least one or two like teachers that were really motivating but I know some what it's like at a grammar school. So oh yeah, definitely. I think you're about 15, 16 mm. years old and you're trying to make these huge decisions yeah. about the rest of your life and which course you're going to take, which is going to dictate your future career. And it's a lot of pressure and expectation at that age of life. Um, to be honest, I didn't have many inspiring teachers at that stage of my education. I really felt that it just seemed a little bit more as if they were there to do a job, but they mm. weren't really there to really care about the end result. Mm. I can't really say that I have any particular teachers from that time frame which stand in my mind as really pushing me forward or encouraging me or inspiring me in any particular way. But I think it was the fact that we really had to think very hard about what we wanted the future to hold for us. And for myself, my family background, also meant that there was this pressure mm. on me because my parents had a very clear view that we were all going to mm. university, me and my siblings. It wasn't something that was up for discussion. So I already knew that there was a particular path mm -hmm. ahead waiting for me. It was just sort of filling in the blanks along the way. Um, so I knew university was definitely on the cards for me. I just had to figure out what I wanted to mm -hmm. study. Now, my family and my, my parents had one expectation of what they wanted, yeah. um, which probably stems from their background because they're in the science professions, pharmacists and doctors. Um, so I was naturally inclined to study and focus on sciences when we were separating from GCSE to A-level and going into college sixth form sort of stage. Um, but I really hated sciences, to be honest. So it was it was this constant battle of trying to figure out what is it that I want to do with my life, aside from what my teachers might want, what mm. the school may want for their stats and, mm. and records and reports, what my family may want. It was it was hard, you mm -hmm. know, at that age of life, trying to pick apart all these different aspects and thought processes and huge decisions. 
so I think I ended up going to the same sixth form which was connected to my grammar school yeah. rather than moving out to go to a separate college um, so we had a particular requirement at the time which was we had to get certain grades in our GCSEs mm. to make sure we could enter into the sixth form so that added a whole extra layer mm. of pressure onto the process which was hard enough as it is but you know I, I got through my GCSEs I did really well um, but I think A levels for me and going into sixth form was a really difficult time because I really didn't have a clue mm. what I wanted to do with my life um, we were being shown so many different options or mm. professions and career paths through the school and through insight days and other professionals coming through but I think sometimes especially at that age you have to feel a connection or mm. be able to relate to something or someone yeah which makes you think you know what I could see myself doing that mm. or I would like to be like that person yeah but I, I just wasn't feeling that. I mm -hmm. wasn't seeing what I needed to see. I wasn't hearing what I needed to hear. So there was this constant disconnect between everything that's being preached to me mm -hmm. and me trying to figure out where my journey is going to lead. So I've made countless mistakes along the way, wrong decisions, picking the wrong subjects, trying to do things which would be the norm, mm -hmm. you know, just yeah. fitting into a box sort of, picking science subjects for A-levels, for example, because everyone's saying that as if you can master the sciences, you can do anything you want mm. in life or you'll have loads mm -hmm. of career options open to you. So because I had no clue, I was just really stabbing in the dark, just really going off on a whim, trying to keep all options open, cover all bases. And that doesn't always work. You know, mm. sometimes it really backfires because unless you have a really clear end goal in mind or a destination for your journey, you're just aimlessly walking mm -hmm. and you don't have anything in mind as to where you're heading towards. So yeah, I made a lot of mistakes in that sense at that young age, picked all the wrong subjects. And then at a really late stage, after all my A-levels, I decided I wanted to do law. <laughs> <laughs> so rather than figuring that out at the right stage yeah. earlier on, I took all sciences for A-levels, absolutely hated the entire two years I was at sixth form hated the subjects I was studying, really did not enjoy the classes, the, the discussions with the teachers, the topics I was learning. And it was just a really, really difficult uphill journey mm. because I had no passion for it. it. There was no interest there for me. And it was only after I did all my A-levels that I realised that actually, you know what, my strengths and what I enjoyed were in things like reading, mm -hmm. in English, in history, philosophy, psychology. But these were all things which initially I had been told wouldn't lead to any particular career path. Yeah. Mm. Um, so because of that, we were never really introduced, even at college or, or school, to psychologists or psychiatrists or historians mm. or anybody working in those sorts of fields. It was always your very typical lawyer, doctor, dentist, pharmacist sort mm. of thing. Um, so these were all options which I wasn't even really aware of. And because of that, I thought, people are right it doesn't lead to anything mm. because I've never seen anyone yeah. in those fields of work um, so it took a really long time for me to learn and understand that sometimes there's far more options out there compared to what you may know but it's definitely an experience of life you know at that age of life how much are you going to yeah, realistically know about the world mm. and we rely at that age on our teachers on other people 
within the education system to really share that knowledge with us and be diverse in what they're sharing mm -hmm. because that lack of diversity in what they're spreading in terms of a message or options or opportunities for your future can really pigeonhole you and lead to picking the wrong choices or ending up in careers you really don't enjoy but you just thought it was the right thing to do. So I actually got into university to do law in the end through clearing. So not your traditional sort of clear cut route yes. where you know what you're doing and you focused all your time and your energy and your studies working towards this one particular route. I went from doing all science-based A-levels and not doing very well mm -hmm. at all in them to then going to university through clearing to study law. And it was only then for the first time that I actually felt a sense of peace that mm -hmm. this is actually where I belong now. The education and the topics that I'm learning were actually matching with mm -hmm. my interests and my passion. And for the first time, it didn't feel like I was studying. I was just genuinely enjoying what I oh, was doing. So and that's when I knew it's definitely mm -hmm. finally found my right place yes. and made the right decision. Oh, that's that. That's really good to hear. So, what was like? So, you did you studied A levels, um, very all science based, and then you went through clearing for university, and you finally found this is for me kind of thing, doing the law, studying law. What was university life like? Because I know everyone, we've all. I went to university. We all know it's so, it is it's a struggle because I look back on it and I go, I've got the grades but life skills as well you know so yeah. do you would you like agree with but yeah what was your like university life like I loved university mm -hmm. I think it was the first stage in my life and in my education that I finally felt that I had found my place I think throughout school throughout sixth form I felt as if I was constantly trying to catch up or trying to climb a hill which was just never ending mm -hmm. um, I couldn't get to the top no matter how much I tried I wasn't connecting with anything but when I got to university I found finally felt that I'd found my place mm -hmm. I really settled in well I really enjoyed the fact that the people on my course were like-minded people mm -hmm. because they had all had that same inclination for whatever reason from whatever background they wanted to mm -hmm. study law so our interests were automatically aligned um, so I loved that fact. I loved the fact I wasn't having to try to justify why I had gone into law or why I was there to study law compared to sciences. Mm -hmm. It was just like-minded people and a really supportive environment. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't one of your most elite or red brick unis. I went to Coventry University, but I honestly had the best three years there. And I would say that that really was a life life changer for me because I went from an experience of not knowing what I was doing in life, blindly walking in the dark, yeah. <laughs> struggling endlessly and really, really hating everything I was studying when I was doing the sciences to now suddenly absolutely loving what I was studying. I genuinely didn't even feel like I was studying. Mm -hmm. um, I, would, I, I was always a bit of a bookworm, to be honest. I always enjoyed reading and with law, there's a lot of reading anyway, but it just didn't feel like a chore for me. Mm -hmm. I would happily do all my lecture work all my seminar work do all the prep oh, I was amazing. one of those sorts of people you know always on top of it but because for me it was just really enjoyable mm -hmm. I just absolutely loved the whole experience of it that the lecturers really wanted to be there and you could tell that from them they had that sense of passion about what they were teaching um so yeah it was just a brilliant experience at Coventry University I loved it
that's that's good that you i was the opposite i I used to procrastinate a lot at university but (laughs) i think that's great that you 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 got all your assignments in on time things like that what was it like once you've graduated like we all know getting a graduate job it is uh, hard so what was it like once you've graduated what was that like that first year let's say yeah so when i finished my undergraduate degree at coventry I had to then go on to do my LPC, Mm -hmm. which is my post-grad, before I could really go on to secure a training contract and look to qualify. Now, some people at that stage were taking a break and going into employment Mm -hmm. um, and then potentially going back to to do those courses. But for, for me, again, a little bit stemmed from my family background where they were very much focused on just get all the education parts Mm. of life done in one go. Um, So I wasn't really encouraged to take a gap year or take a break for employment purposes or anything like that. And I think that was pretty normal at that stage as well. I mean, I think back then when I was studying, things like taking a gap year were actually seen quite negatively. Mm. People just didn't understand the benefit of it and how much skill Mm -hmm. in terms of life experience it could really bring for, for a person. Um, so there was this constant just keep going one year after another year keep going with the education um, so after Coventry I actually went to Warwick University first to do my master's in mm-hmm. law for a year and then I went on to do my LPC the legal practice course and throughout that time I didn't think about jobs at all mm-hmm. because I just didn't need to it wasn't something encouraged it wasn't the normal sort of process so everything was very heavily focused on making sure you get the grades, making sure you excel in what you're studying and getting the highest marks possible so that when you finish your postgraduate LPC and you are finally looking for a job, you can show all the results behind you, which will help you then enter Mm. the professional world. Um, So to be honest, looking back on it, I wish I had done things differently. I wish I had taken a break and gain some life experience and some actual experience working within law Mm -hmm. at an earlier stage but it just wasn't the normal process at that time Um, but yeah definitely by the time I was finishing my LPC the pressure was on to find a job you know (laughs) and when you've studied secondary school sixth Mm. form you know straight into university then a master's then another postgraduate LPC that was like five six years of back-to-back study um, Mm. from university level and now there was nowhere else to hide there was no other course to go and do you know I had to face the reality of this is time now to leave the books aside and face the real world and actually get a job and I had no clue where to start Mm -hmm. because I've got no family in in the legal profession I didn't know anyone in the legal profession I had no contacts no connections Mm. no one through my education through school or university level was able to sort of point me in the right sort of direction of who I may be able to learn from or gain experience from. So I was really, really alone in the process, Mm. constantly Googling everything. I think Google was like my biggest friend Mm. when I was doing my LPC because alongside studying, I was constantly searching what what type of law firms are there because I, I was literally that clueless. I had gone into law just knowing it was something which played to my strengths, mm-hmm. but I didn't have a clue about the different types of law firms, the different areas of law, where I actually wanted to work. Some people start their career professions in law and they know they want to work for a particular firm. Yeah. They have that firm in mm. mind or they know they want to work for an international firm or a high street firm. They have some sort of mm. indication. 
I had no clue whatsoever. So I was Googling <coughs> and researching nonstop, trying to figure out all the different options and routes available. So then I could determine where do I fit in between mm -hmm. those. So my first job was actually a temp job in a corporate law firm. And it was the most boringest job ever. I was literally indexing files. So it was for the fraud department in a corporate firm and they had transferred a case from another firm and there was something like 30, 40 huge boxes filled with lever arch files. And I just had to literally count the pages in each file and then look for certain particular documents. <coughs> so it was such a boring task. And so many people were looking at me at the time thinking, why on earth is she doing this job? It's not gonna lead to anything in terms of um, her job or anything like that and it was just for me it was just an easy starting point mm -hmm. it was less pressure there was no worry of this is a long-term job where I have to have skills or experience to begin with but it's a job it's mm. something and I'll be inside a law firm which was going to be the first time ever that I've been inside a law firm so I just I didn't really care about what people thought about it I just thought great let's just go for it and mm -hmm. learn whatever I learned from it and it turned out to be a great experience I learned so much about what I do like about law firms, mm. what I don't like about law firms. So when I then moved on to look for other jobs after that temporary assignment, I had a little bit more understanding of what I actually wanted to look for in a firm. So that temporary job worked out really well for me because it was, a, I think it was about like a two week placement just to complete that particular task. Um, but they ended up keeping me on as a part-time receptionist because I got along with the staff really well. So one opportunity led to another and that gave me a little bit of a footing before I figured out the more long-term plan in that sense. So I think where people turn their nose up sometimes and think it's not a great opportunity or it's not such a glamorous job mm. role, especially after studying for so long, I would honestly say, you know, don't even think about it like that. Just always think that from every opportunity you can gain and learn something. Even if you only learn what you don't like, you've still learned something. You know mm. what to look ahead yeah. to for the future and what to avoid. But yeah, the pressure was definitely on after finishing studies to really find a proper job, mm -hmm. something which was going to be able to hold you down and earn a bit of money and really start pushing forward your actual career. Yeah. Yes, no, I can imagine like that struggle, you know, being as you said, like you were doing that that temp job, and luckily you got you know they got a full time job afterwards as the receptionist. That's really good. So what? So once you did that, how long were you in um, as the office admin and receptionist? I think you said yeah. were you there for a couple of years, and what was your next like career step? Like on the step on the ladder, if that yeah. makes sense. I think I was there for about eight or nine months mm -hmm. I know it was less than a year so I would say around eight or nine months I was working there as the part-time receptionist and I was initially hoping to probably stay there and work my way up yeah um, but I soon found out that the firm weren't offering training contracts at all mm. so I just thought maybe this is the perfect sort of time to look on a wider scale what yeah. other options are out there because especially when it's your first job it's really easy to get comfortable mm. really quick and just think well I found one place now let's mm. just stay here yeah. and figure out how long we can last you know how long we can climb the ladder within one business and you know I could have stayed and maybe waited to try and secure a paralegal job role and build up more experience mm. for a couple of years before moving on 
um, there's always loads of options and there's no right or wrong answer but I think for me I just thought maybe this is the time to move on mm -hmm. secure a paralegal role somewhere else and then from there gain that experience so I can start to apply for training contracts because all my colleagues by now were either already in training contracts because they had started applying well mm -hmm. before whilst they were still studying or they were straight into paralegal job roles planning ahead mm. for training contracts the following year so I felt quite behind compared to them but because I felt that I was in a good place for myself I just didn't care mm -hmm. I just felt that you know what this is working for me right now so there's no particular rush or urgency to secure the next stage by a certain time frame mm -hmm. or anything like that as long as I'm working and I'm doing something and I'm in the legal sector I'm in a law firm I'm gaining some exposure and experience it was fine so I went on to another law firm where I had a paralegal job role it was a very very small high street firm um, they only had two offices within Birmingham and I would say about five or six staff members across the two offices so very small scale firm especially compared to where I had just come from um, and during my interview process there, they were very keen to put someone in a trainee position. Mm -hmm. So it was a sort of become a paralegal, you know, as long as the first six to 12 months go fairly smoothly, we're happy with you, you're happy with us, you're building up the experience and there's no major red flags, then the, the hope is we want to give a training contract. So that was music to my ears. I thought, you know, this is great. This is everything that you would really want when you're starting off mm -hmm. in your career. Um, so I snapped up that job thinking that it was going to be the perfect smooth journey, which obviously it wasn't <laughs> because life, life just can't happen that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I started that job and I, to be honest, again, I was very naive at that stage because of my lack of understanding about mm. the profession and lack of experience through colleagues or friends that I knew were working within the profession already. I didn't actually know what to expect. Mm. I was just taking things at face value, taking people's word for things. So when I started this job, there was no employment contract in place. Um, when I was working for the corporate firm, I got used to a very clear structure mm. of how things were done. But I just assumed that the change now was just because this was a different type of law firm. It was yeah. a much smaller law firm. So maybe it's normal for things to be a bit more casual. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it was quite naive of me at the time, but you know, looking back on it, it's a learning process and I didn't have any other way to, to, to know these sorts of things. Um, but there was no employment contract, so there was nothing for me to fall back onto. And after about 10, 11 months of working there, there was just no sign of anything happening. Um, and I actually wasn't getting paid either. Oh, wow. So during the interview there was obviously a clear job description yeah. a clear agreement as to what would happen what the role entailed what the mm. pay was going to be but once I accepted the job I was constantly told oh we'll sort the employment contract out just next week next week next week and then you know by <laughs> by the time I realized I was four months into the job yeah. and there was still no employment contract <clears throat> and there was no no pay coming through wow um and again there was <coughs> constant excuses as to why I'm not being paid you know oh it's just been a bit of a tough month this month but we'll we'll pay you double next month or we'll add it all up together and you'll just get it in one go instead and there was constant excuses from the employer at the law firm and I was just really naive mm. I shouldn't have tolerated it I should have known 
and being able to see the warning signs yeah. but I was young I was naive mm. I had nothing to compare it to I had no other experience or nothing else lined up mm-hmm. so I just I just stuck with it I just carried on working thinking that this was normal and about a year later I finally got the training contract um, so by now I had been working already for about a year with no pay um, I say no pay on the odd month I was lucky and I had a bit of pay coming yeah. through you yeah, know but yeah. it, it just you know I, it was that sort of sense of here's your paycheck you should be really grateful you wow. know that you've got paid for once in 10, 10 months or so so it wasn't a very supportive or inspiring or encouraging mm. work environment but I was fixated on the end result thinking well if I get the training contract then I'll qualify and I'll go on to better jobs maybe mm-hmm. and that was my thought process but obviously it, it wasn't that straightforward and I started my training contract there and it was just riddled with problems because in reality, if the initial foundations of the law firm aren't set right, it doesn't matter if you have a training contract or a promotion because it's just an empty Mm. title. There's no substance behind it. So I started the training contract. I wasn't really gaining any experience or, or having any great exposure to actual work. I had a supervisor who really made it clear that he didn't believe women should be in the legal profession so he point blank said to me that I'm great to be his assistant and he will happily assign work to me but he had zero interest in helping me make sure I could actually make the most out of this training Mm. contract Mm -hmm. so I could actually learn about how to do file work how the process Mm. actually works and do some real work it was really just admin, you know, I was able to type up his letters, I was able to take his calls and be his personal PA really. Mm. Um, But he wouldn't really give me access to the case files even. So if I was working on something for him, he would give me the case file just long enough for me to do the work, whether it was typing up the letter Mm. or sending an email to the client. And as soon as that was done, he took the case file back. So I didn't have the opportunity to even read the files. So I could learn anything Mm. for myself. So it was a really restrictive sort of environment. And with all the struggles of it, the lack of pay, the lack of learning, I really started to worry that I'm going to end up finishing my training contract and knowing absolutely nothing. Mm. And that was more scary for me. It More than the worry of never qualifying, the worry yeah. of qualifying and actually being clueless mm. as a solicitor was far more daunting um, because you've got all that extra liability on Mm. your head then you know technically regardless of anything else you're still a qualified solicitor so the duty stops with you to make sure that Mm. you know what you're talking about and you're giving the right advice to people and I knew I, I I didn't have a clue I was literally making things up as I was going along in the sense that I was trying to learn as much as I could with very little to go on um and all my work was really admin based which to some extent is great because I do believe you can still learn so yeah. much just from typing someone mm. else's letters because if nothing else, I still learned from that experience the best or particular drafting skills, how to word things, how to put letters together and just even the tone of letters, mm-hmm. how to write differently depending on the nature of the situation. Yeah. So I definitely still mm. learned something from the experience but it was just a really horrible time overall. I wasn't happy I was struggling with my mental health generally Mm. because it was such a toxic work environment Mm. and I was really feeling the hit of not having any money coming in so 
I had to weigh up my options as to whether I stay there or or I mm. move on. And it's really hard when you're halfway through mm. a training contract because you think, should I just ride ride the storm? At least I'll qualify at the end of it because the concept or the idea of having to go all the way back to the beginning was really off-putting. Mm-hmm. But I did interview for a few firms and there was a great response. They really understood that I had a lot of experience already built up but I had to start the training contract process again. So I would have Mm. to start as a paralegal with them Mm -hmm. for them to then assess me and for me to then go through the official training contract Mm -hmm. application process. So it was really long-winded. But yeah, in the end, I did end up leaving and I just cut my losses because I thought I want to qualify someday as a solicitor, but I want to do it knowing that I've learned things the right way, had the best Mm. of experiences, and I actually want to know what I'm doing. Yeah. So as hard as it was, I walked away from that job in the end, gave up my training contract and everything um, and, and started again, really. Yeah. So, yeah, that seems like such like a, a, like a journey up and down. And mm-hmm. especially when you said about um, your colleague who didn't believe that women should be in, in law. I think that's 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 mine. Like that's blown my mind a bit, actually. I think that's really bad. And you said with they didn't pay you affected your mental health, like financially, like all of that that that's a big journey so once you left your training um contract early did you i'm assuming you went on somewhere else um and what was that like going to the you know your your next job yeah so i think i took a couple of weeks break Mm -hmm. because i had just simply left that initial job with nothing lined up i hadn't really Mm -hmm. gone through the process of applying for jobs quietly on the side and then making sure something was lined up again in typical me fashion there was Mm -hmm. no plan yeah (laughs) it was just sort of no enough is enough and I finished that job with nothing lined up so I took a few weeks break and then I started applying and again some of the interviews were great but it just it wasn't sitting right with me Mm. the fact that it was going to be such a long journey ahead Mm. um so I was holding out a little bit thinking something's going to come my way at some point which is just going to feel right and it will be worth it there Um, some of the firms that I had the opportunity to start with they were much further away from where I was living Mm -hmm. so it was that extra sort of worry thinking okay I've got to go all the way back to the beginning of my career journey Mm. Um, there's no guarantee I'll get the training contract but I've got this extra long commute back and forth as well so on that basis I was hoping to find something which was just a little bit more convenient overall Um, And I ended up securing a job with a family specialist law firm based in the Midlands. They're a regional firm, so they had multiple offices across the West Midlands. And during the interview process, it's always really hard when you've left somewhere Mm. previously because you don't want to speak negatively about the firm um, because naturally that's never going to Mm. give a good impression on you as a candidate. But at the same time, there was this sense of, this new company needs to understand why did I just walk away from a firm where I've just had my training contract so my CV looked very positive it looked as if you know I had gone into employment very soon after finishing my studies I had quite quickly secured employment as a paralegal and secured a training contract but now it wasn't making sense why did I randomly leave if I had Mm. a training contract and things were all on this perfect track And naturally, that was a question which was coming up from my employer. 
why did you leave mm. and in the back of my head i just wanted to offload and vent everything mm. but naturally you can't you yeah. know um so it was really hard trying to find this balance of how do i explain what i've been through in life so that they as an employer can understand that technically it wasn't any wrongdoing on my part mm -hmm. but i have an expectation of what i expect now moving forward from the next job um so it was it was hard trying to balance that explanation to be honest um and i think i just put it down to the fact that it was a very small firm and i didn't feel that i was learning what i needed to learn and the structures and systems just weren't in place to really support my career so i feel that it's better for me to make sure i'm working in an environment where i see myself being able to stay long term mm -hmm. and have a stable and prosperous future and that that did the job yeah. <laughs> thankfully that was a bit of a band-aid where i was able to subtly justify and explain why i had left my training contract and my job and without it looking bad on me speaking negatively about another firm or name dropping the other firm and landing a whole different array of problems through that and thankfully this firm offered me the job they were really happy with what i had learned and already gained as experience um, but naturally they weren't able to sort of guarantee anything to me. So again, it was a position where come on board as a paralegal mm. and we'll do a review in three months after probation. Um, and then we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll have a discussion. And that seemed reasonable to me, I thought, because at least the option to have a discussion just three months in yeah. was on the table. It wasn't a sort of, look, you're only joining the firm now. So realistically you're going to have to work for at least a year before we even consider talking about promotion to a training contract which i can understand why mm. people would say that in in a professional environment but they were only saying three months so i thought you know what this seems fair you know let's go for it so i took that job and they were true to their word you know three months in we did a review they were really really happy with my work ethic and the way things were going and i was really happy working there so it was a really positive experience overall and after that three month review they had said to me if you complete another six months and everything continues as it is you know you're doing the work well clients are happy with you you're meeting your targets and so on we see no reason why we can't actually start discussing the training contract option with you so that was that that was amazing you know from losing everything overnight to suddenly now having the option to quite quickly restart that training contract process rather than having to work endlessly um it it was great that they were willing to see and accept my ability and my progress and have that discussion with me so after 6 months of working for them they did actually put me back onto a training contract and it was great because they used the previous time that I had worked as a trainee with the other firm to count towards some of my experience. Okay. So that knocked mm. off a little bit of the time for me. And they felt satisfied overall that they were happy to sign off that time mm -hmm. as qualifying work experience because they had now seen me work for six months themselves. Mm -hmm. So they knew what my skill and my ability level was. They weren't worried about signing me off as being suitable or capable or able when I had no mm. knowledge at all. Mm -hmm. So they had that initial yeah. period to sort of vet me, get to know me, see what I was able to deliver. Um, and yeah, it comes with a lot of effort and input from both sides as an employee and as an employer. 
but the process was brilliant I had a really good time there and I actually stayed there for quite a few years mm. after qualifying and I had some of my earliest leadership promotions through that firm um, and it definitely gave me faith in the industry again after everything I had been through I don't think any law firm is perfect mm -hmm. there's always going to be ups and downs yeah. and moments where you struggle and you feel like this is the worst place ever mm -hmm. you know that's just human nature you have those ups and downs but on the whole it was much more of a positive experience and it really sparked some hope in me for the future yes that sounds that's good that it was you moved on to the like your your the new job and it was amazing for you and you were there for a long time and you said you've got leadership roles um so I know you've said that you started your own family law firm so like we can kind of you started that in August was it yes, this year yeah. so tell me about like that whole journey you know basically starting your own business I think that's just amazing as a woman and you know so yeah let's go talk about that journey yeah so I had been I've been qualified for five years yeah <clears throat> and when I was about four years into my qualification, I think this was during lockdown time still, I was struggling to figure out what I wanted from my future career because now everything was changing because of COVID. Everything was based about working from home, mm. court hearings were no longer in person, they were being done remotely mm. over the phone or over video link. And I had gone from having a really, really busy career life mm. where I was managing a small team, running an office, seeing, I don't know, eight to 10 clients a day mm. and being in court many times, two to three times a day from now suddenly being sat at home every day, mm. all week, doing my court hearings over the phone, mm. seeing my clients over Zoom. It was a really different experience mm. overall. And it took a long time for me to adjust to it. Some people loved it from the outset. They were like, this is perfect. Yeah. For me, I really hated it. I, I, I missed the busyness. Mm -hmm. I missed being in the office or in court and having that whole work environment and team mm. and just that banter mm -hmm. around me for work time. Yeah. So then I could come home to my home life yes. and it was a separation, a very mm. clear separation. Yeah, um, yeah I, I really struggled with it during COVID and that's the first time I started to think about whether... I would want to break away from employment and do something for myself and at the time I didn't think about starting my own law firm I took the route of working freelance mm -hmm. and it was a very very new process that the SRA had just established so I was one of the first I think I was one of the first five people that had even applied to become registered as a freelance solicitor um, and again there was very little guidance on what the criteria mm. is um, so yeah, I just went for it. I thought I've got nothing to lose, but maybe I'll enjoy it a little mm -hmm. bit more than what I'm doing at the moment. Um, but because I was four years qualified, I couldn't get insurance. Um, so the professional indemnity insurance, the general requirements were that you had to be four years qualified. Actually, I think you had to be three years qualified. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think the criteria was you had to be three years qualified and get insurance. Now, the insurance company said, we won't insure you until you're five years qualified. So it really didn't mm. match up. You yeah, know, on yeah. one hand, the SRA was saying you can take this role and this route mm. once you're three years qualified, but you have to have insurance. But if the insurance companies mm. aren't going to insure you until you're five years qualified, then really it's not an option. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's a non-starter. 
So I, I put those sentiments to the SRA and I said to them, you know, your, your system here doesn't really make sense mm. because you're offering this as a role from three years PQE when realistically no mm. one at mm. that stage is going to have the option to take this role. Um, so then they did an assessment with me based on the type of work I was planning to do. And they granted me permission to work freelance without having the full extent of professional indemnity insurance. So inevitably, without that insurance, mm -hmm. you're at more risk okay. because you're not covered. Yeah. But the nature of my work was very low risk anyway within family law. Okay. There's certain aspects of family law which are a bit riskier yeah. and you need to cover yourself and be protected mm -hmm. a little bit more. But I just took the approach that, well, maybe if I vet those cases even more or I choose not to take on those types of cases and I stick to the fully low risk type of work, maybe I'll be fine. I yeah. won't need the insurance. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I took that opportunity and I started working freelance and I loved it. I loved the fact that I was marketing myself. Mm -hmm. I was no longer marketing a company yeah. because by now I had been working as a head of department in a management position as a solicitor for, for a few law firms. And my role related to promoting the business, promoting them as a law firm, mm -hmm. you know, really putting them on the map and then doing all the work as well. Yes. So for the first time now, I was able to focus on my own reputation, focus on building a brand for myself mm -hmm. and putting my own name out there. So rather than having to do all the work and then putting a law firm's name mm -hmm. to stamp it all off, for the first time I was able to, to put it all under my own name. Um, so that was quite an empowering experience because it made me realize that, yes, there's benefits of employment and yes, there's benefits of working for an established company. You have a team and network around you. You've got all the skills and experiences yeah. of your colleagues mm. to learn from um, and you've got much more stability overall. But there was nothing for me which could have been more empowering than marketing mm. myself in the profession that really opened my eyes and made me realize that there was a whole range of options out there still. Yeah. I thought, I, by now I thought I had mastered it all. I had mm -hmm. figured out all the different yeah. types of law firms, <laughs> all the different routes, all the different levels of work within mm -hmm. the legal profession. And I had climbed the ladder mm -hmm. from qualifying now being in a management solicitor's role, you know, heading up teams, reporting to the directors. Um, and I thought I'd learned it all. I thought I was top of the game now, you know. And now I was still learning something totally different. You know, every single step of my journey has been a huge learning mm -hmm. curve. And every time I think there's possibly nowhere else for me to go now, I've got to the top, then I've learned something yeah. else. So it's great in a way, because at least, you know, you're constantly learning, you're constantly growing. Um, but I didn't enjoy working freelance long term because it was very lonely. Mm -hmm. You know, I was working by myself still remotely because it was still during the covid lockdown time and i missed having colleagues i really missed being in the office i wanted to go out of the house mm -hmm. and get into a workplace um so i loved the work that i was doing but i missed the team spirit of working for a company yeah um so i went back to employment after about i think i did about six months freelancing yes and then I went into employment again and I applied for a job and naturally they were quite confused about this little gap on my CV mm. where I had freelanced because the legal profession isn't known for 
being open-minded mm. you know they're not great with change and they're not great with doing things which are just a little bit different from the norm yeah. so being a freelance solicitor was a very new system at the time anyway and for law firms that made it even more confusing mm. because many of them didn't even know that there was an option to work freelance so I was explaining the process to them yes Mm-hmm. And then I was explaining the pros and the cons, why it's worked in my favour, what I've learned from that mm. experience. Because to some people, they were just quite dismissive and they just thought, so it's it's like having a gap on your CV for six months. And I'm thinking, well, no, because I've done a hell of a lot, a lot through those yes. six months, you know. And it was only then that I realised how much business matches up yeah. with working in law. Mm-hmm. Because naturally, as a lawyer, you're very fixated mm. on the legal work and the general duties you have as a lawyer but business doesn't really cross your mind as much but what I learned from freelancing is that there is a huge overlap between business skills and legal skills Mm -hmm. as a lawyer so I use that opportunity now to now market my skills when I was trying to find employment again by showing that not only am I already a great lawyer and that's already evidenced and very clear from my history working with other firms and, and my record across the board But from this freelancing experience, I've now learned far more about the business side of Mm -hmm. law, how to promote the law firm, whether it's through social media, through other marketing channels, how to secure clients, how to grow our client base, how to make the business, their law firm, Mm -hmm. prosper, rather than them having to constantly think, oh, well, she's a solicitor, so her job is to sit at the desk and do the file work. I'm now able to say, well, actually, yes, that's the basic level of my duties mm. as a solicitor. But actually, I can do X, Y, Z now as well, because mm. this is what I've learned from my freelance experience. And that just blew their mind, you know, as lawyers, especially partners in law firms, which traditionally are much older than I was at the time, because I was only in my early 30s. Um, this was all a, a huge shock for them yeah. they were thinking well you know we it's taken us 50 years to learn this sort of stuff and you know here's this person sitting in front of us and she's in her early 30s she's understood this concept of the profession overlapping mm-hmm. with business she's got the skills from both aspects from the legal side as well as from the business side and we can actually benefit so much because she wants to do this she wants to tap mm-hmm. into the business side of work for many people that's not appealing and that's not a problem naturally if you go into the legal profession you don't necessarily have an interest in business you're going into the legal profession because you want to focus on the law Mm -hmm. and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but I learned that I liked both so finding a role now where I was able to do a little bit of both Mm -hmm. aspects was really great for me and I managed to secure that job there working as a head of department and focusing on marketing the firm and the business and reporting to the directors for the growth of the department mm-hmm. on top of doing the legal side of the work. That that was really enjoyable for me. Um, so yeah, that was a brilliant learning process for me. And that's where I had just finished before I started my own law firm. Mm-hmm. So I had achieved a stage with that firm where I was being offered directorship positions now because the experience from freelancing had put me on the map above and beyond my Mm -hmm. general colleagues who may have been older than me. They may have had more experience through years, Mm. but I was able to bring something completely different to the table. Mm -hmm. And so many law firms were able to see that in me now. And really 
they all wanted a little bit mm. of it. So I ended up from working freelance to now securing employment again to suddenly having three different directorship offers wow, on the table yes. across three different firms. And that was amazing for me, you know, mm. it was really humbling because I took that time to really sit back and think, I started just four years ago, mm. I think it was about five, four and a half years mm -hmm. by this stage. So I started just four and a half years ago, I started in a place where I had no pay. Mm -hmm. And I was struggling to climb the ladder and just be heard and mm. be seen and be accepted in the industry to now four and a half years later having three partnership offers on the table it was mind-blowing yes. um and i really felt honored to have that but as i assessed each one of the options i found myself saying no mm. to them all and i had to figure out why am i thinking that none of them are right for mm. me sometimes you'll assess different options and naturally two might not quite align with what you want and one does yeah. But for me, as I was assessing these all, I ended up saying no internally to all of them. Mm -hmm. And that made me really dig deep to mm. figure out what is it that I wanted these mm -hmm. offers to state and cover, which I feel that they don't. Mm. What is it that's causing me to say no to them when ultimately this is the biggest career goalpost that I would have wanted to achieve? And it took a lot of really deep thinking, to be honest. But what I realized is that it wasn't so much just about achieving the promotion to become a director. I wanted to feel part of a team. Mm -hmm. I wanted to feel part of the business. And so far, my experiences had been generally positive and I had grown in terms of experience and promotions, but I had never found a place where I could say I really felt comfortable. So across all the law firms, <clears throat> I was working intently, meeting all the targets, mm -hmm. everything on paper was great, you know, targets being met, she's doing everything she needs to, they, as my employers, are doing everything they need to, you know, they're offering support when, when I need support, they're, they're paying my salary, yes. you know, <laughs> ticking all the boxes, all the basics, but I didn't feel that I belonged or that I was one of them. Mm -hmm. It was always very clear to me that I was a bit of an outsider because I was working in these larger firms where everyone around me was English, they were male, mm. they were much, much older than me, you know. Um, I'm 33 now, as of a couple of weeks ago. Um, and at the time, you know, I'm 31, 32, and I'm in a boardroom with men who are 50, 60 years old. And I wasn't necessarily intimidated by that, but it didn't really give me anything to feel connected to either mm -hmm. because I couldn't see myself within them yeah everything was an uphill struggle in the sense that I had to justify to five or six different older English people mm. why my ideas were valid mm. when really I felt that I was actually bringing more to the table than they were mm -hmm. they were there just by virtue of being senior mm. in the profession yeah they probably well realistically many of them hadn't had a new idea in years mm -hmm. many of them hadn't really done anything innovative in a really long time they were just going through the process just sticking to what they had been doing 10 mm. years ago and just carrying on mm. just like that so i felt that i was the one that was constantly bringing the fresh ideas putting mm. in the, the actual physical hard work yes of implementing these changes making their stats grow, really building their business, that why should I have to constantly answer to them yes. when I'm the one that's 
putting everything in. So that's when I started to realise that, okay, if that's how I'm feeling, let me try and discuss it with them. Now, that's always going to be a hard process mm. in itself because it can very easily backfire and come across as if you're being arrogant or obnoxious. Yeah. And I was very mindful of people starting to think that maybe I'm becoming a bit cocky mm. because I'm asking for different things now or expecting more from them. But at the same time, I thought, you know what, if you don't have these discussions, you're never going to know. Mm. So I had a discussion with the management team as to why I wasn't really keen on accepting the offer for partnership there. And I was very open with them about what my views were in terms of I know what I'm bringing to the table for you. So yeah. I know why you want me on board as a yeah. partner. But what I'm struggling to understand is why would I want to be working yeah on a partnership mm. level with you because the way I see it is it's great and beneficial for you but for me it's just a title and I carry on doing what I'm doing mm. now asking for your permission and your approval for yeah. everything when you're not really bringing anything to the table so it's not a balanced playing field mm. and it didn't go down very well in the sense that they just didn't accept it they felt that there was too much change that naturally they're in the right everything's fine from their side and this is the way it's been for many years and you know many people build up their careers over countless years and they mm. are desperate for this sort of promotion which I can understand but that just wasn't a good enough answer for me you know it wasn't good enough for me to think you know people wait until they're 50 or 60 before they get this sort of promotion mm. and I should be grateful that I'm getting it in my early 30s that wasn't a good enough answer for me um, so I decided from there that I would build something of my own not necessarily just so that I don't have to answer to someone else but more so that I can reap the rewards of mm. my own hard work because it's great to say I'm a partner of a law firm but what do I get in return for that? Yeah. Aside from just the glamorous title, my working hours are naturally going to increase even more. Mm -hmm. And yes, my salary may increase and I may have some financial benefit from it. But does it balance out overall mm. in terms of the work-life balance and everything else? For me, it didn't. So I thought if I'm going to put all that effort and work in anyway, I might as well do it for myself and build something on my own terms where I'm fully content I'm fully in control of how I'm living my life, how my work-life balance is going to be dictated. And I can always be at the forefront of change because I'm not scared of change. Whereas many of these other partners and directors in firms, they were very hesitant mm. to change. So I could always keep on top of the things that were important to me, whether that would be investing in tech in the business, being very prominent on social media, mm whether it meant taking the legal industry from a whole new angle and really revamping things. So rather than being very corporate and very clinical and very rigid in structure, I wanted something to be much more approachable and friendly and appealing and inviting so people aren't daunted by the fact that they're coming into a law firm. Now, many law firms wouldn't want that. Mm. You know, They like to hide behind this facade of we're untouchable because they want that relationship with the client. They want the clients to look up to them and think, oh, wow, I really need a lawyer. I have to pay these extortionate fees because there's no other way for me to go around solving this problem. But for me, especially as a family lawyer, I didn't feel that was the best way. I wanted to work in an industry which was inclusive, 
for everyone, not just from a working perspective between colleagues, but also with the relationship with my clients. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, they are opening up to me and trusting me during the most vulnerable times of their life when they're going through a family conflict, whether that's a divorce, being separated from their children, whatever it may be. The last thing I personally want to do is build this brick wall between me and them and make them feel that they have to jump so high to get the help mm. that they need. Um, and there, there can be a balance between being an efficient business person, being good at business and making money, and actually being a good lawyer. There's no reason why you can only pick one of those. I wanted to build a business where I can have it all. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm working on now. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. I think that's <laughs> so, so good. Um, so you so you're now like in so happy you have your own business. You've been doing that for since um August. So what's that been like? Was has there only been any struggles, difficulties? Um I know this is how I found you was through um in, in your Instagram and I've looked on your like your social media presence I think it's amazing how you're marketing yourself I think it's great so like has yeah so what's that been like now um going you know forward and stuff it's definitely been hard Mm -hmm. I'm not going to pretend it's some glamorous journey because it's really not um and I think people naturally have a habit of always highlighting everything that's amazing Mm -hmm. when you start a journey or when you are in any profession but people don't really highlight the struggles behind the scenes So on one hand, yes, it's great. I've taken this step and I'm now running a business and I'm launching something of my own. But it's definitely been with struggle. You know, nothing's going to come easily. And the best things in life always require a lot of hard work. So it's been difficult. And you have to remember that now, along with all the benefits of being in control and being in control of your own future, there comes the fact that it's just you. Mm-hmm. There is no one else to turn to. Um, I don't have any staff on board at this stage. And I now have to make sure that I learn or train or gain the knowledge that I need to across all different aspects, whether that's from the business aspect of how to run the business, yes. whether it's from the legal aspect of making sure as a lawyer, I'm up to date and mm-hmm. on top of all my updates in the profession all the changes which are happening which seem to be constant since covid to be honest um and there's a lot to be constantly learning from a business and from a legal Mm -hmm. perspective and i've got the same number of hours in a day so i wouldn't say i'm working less now just because i'm working for myself i know sometimes there's this glamorous approach that you've started a business or you're working for yourself you're in control you can take Mm -hmm. time off whenever you want if anything i'm working far more now than I was before Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm putting in those hours and those extra hours because I'm building something for myself for my own future so for me it's worth it but yeah it's definitely difficult because from a business perspective especially I have to learn so much about what it means Mm. to run an effective business you know I can have a client come through the door and I've got no doubt at all about how to do the work because as a lawyer that's secondary nature to me Um, But when it comes to the ins and outs of how to make sure the business is running effectively Mm. and efficiently and my financials are on point and I'm actually making sure I'm charging the right prices to my clients Mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm not only being a great lawyer, but I'm actually making sure that marries up with now Mm. being a business owner and the number of clients or the amount of work I'm doing correlate to an end result of having the financial gain for it. 
So there's definitely a lot more which goes into mm. running a business and a lot more which I've had to learn. But I'm enjoying it. There's no regrets so far. <laughs> it's very early days. But yeah, I think it's one of those things that whenever you start a journey like this, it's never going to be easy, mm-hmm. especially for the first year or two. I know it's going to be really, really difficult. But the plan is to put in that hard work so then I can build something and have that foundation upon which I can grow and hopefully hire more staff and bring a team on board. And that will ease some of the pressure on me. But before we get to that point, it just comes that initial graft. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm ending my all my podcasts of because this this aim of this this series is to you know educate and motivate like the younger generation. So what would you tell your younger self? So after everything that you, we've discussed and your journey, career, with your new business, yeah, what would you tell your younger self? I think for me, it would just be to have confidence in myself. Because as a child, I was extremely shy. Yeah. And that was made worse by the fact that I didn't have any teachers or anyone in particular that was inspirational towards me or made me feel that I was capable of Mm -hmm. doing something. Especially when I said I wanted to go into law, everyone just really looked at me and thought, you don't have any lawyers in the family. You've got Mm -hmm. no connections in this industry. You're a woman in a male-dominated mm. profession. And from an ethnic perspective, yes. your statistics mm. are naturally adding up. Everything's adding up against you. You know, it, it's not a realistic option. Mm. You know, think of something else. And so many times I nearly gave up. So many times I nearly tried to pivot and find a different route and get out of the profession because everything just seemed to be really against me. Um, and that knocked my confidence a lot throughout the years. But the end result is the same. If you put in the hard work and you believe in yourself, you can achieve anything. Even if it means you're the first person to achieve it, it can be Mm -hmm. done. So having confidence is definitely the biggest thing I would say. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I hope you enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.